The field is white, all ready to harvest. That scripture has been repeated so many times in the first 12 sections of the Doctrine and Covenants. But what does it really mean in real life with you and the people you love? Well, today we have a special guest who is giving a great example of this real life application, and we are so excited about it. Come on in. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to Simple Joyful Home, a Come Follow Me podcast with Emily and Alicia. Week after week, they'll draw inspiration from the reading, leaving you with simple and useful tools to strengthen your confidence, your spirit, and your family. Together, you'll transform the study of religion into a real relationship with Christ. Powerful tools and superstar listeners like you means everyone can have a simple, joyful home. Take it away, ladies. Hey, this is Alicia. And this is Emily. And today we have a super awesome guest. We're so excited about Sarah Sedgwick is here with us. And I'm going to tell you three really cool things about Sarah. Sarah makes amazing cookies and we've bonded over good food. Haven't we, Sarah? Yes, we have. (laughs) She also is a black belt in karate, which both Alicia and I think are super, like above and beyond awesome. Super cool. I just wanted to follow me everywhere so I feel safe. And she probably would protect you. I know. I would do it. (laughs) (laughs) And the last thing, she has such a cool story that we're so lucky that she's willing to share with us. Thank you. Hello. Yay. Okay. Welcome. Yes. Welcome. So this week we are in Doctrine and Covenants section 12 and 13. And we're also reading Joseph Smith history verses 66 through 75. And just to give you a brief overview of what that's all about, sections 12 and 13, section 12 is all about a revelation given through Joseph Smith to Joseph Knight Sr. about his call to the work. So if he has a desire, the field is all white, ready to harvest. The same thing we've heard over and over and over again, but specifically for Joseph Knight. And Joseph becomes a, Joseph Knight becomes a very dedicated member of the church and he is very, very um, loyal to the church and spends his time and energy and monies, all of that to support the church. So that section is for him specifically and also one that we can relate to our lives. And section 13 is where the ironic priesthood is brought back to the earth. And this is such an important section of doctrine for our church. Um, It's sometimes given like a, it's called the lesser priesthood. And I wonder sometimes why we do that because I mean, the lesser priesthood, it's the priesthood of God, the power of God. It's so, I think so powerful. And we get to be in this moment where they receive that, that recounting of receiving that. And in the Joseph Smith history in verses 66 through 75, it's that accounting of when they receive that Ironic priesthood. And uh, uh, the part that I love the most here is when Oliver Cowdery describes his version of those events. And as I read through these, this section, the part that I loved that reminded me of Sarah's story tonight is the part where he talks about um, the feelings that he had about the Ironic priesthood coming back to the earth and also his experience with the spirit. And he says, what joy, what wonder, what amazement. And as I heard Sarah's story, those same words, those feelings just came to me as, as I, I heard her experience. So we can't wait for her to share it with you today. Okay. So I think Sarah, 
tell us a little bit about your family and that kind of stuff. Okay. I grew up in the church, and when I was about 20, 19, 20, I decided that I didn't want to be a member of the church anymore. I kind of wanted to do my own thing, you know, stupid 20-year-olds like we are. No. And um, did my own thing for a long time, right? (laughs) And I met my husband, and we got married. He kind of grew up in the church, but... His family had different, I don't know, very different than I grew up in the church, but we weren't attending church and I got pregnant with our first daughter and my parents announced that they were leaving on a mission and that was kind of (laughs) crappy. My first child and my mom's leaving for two years, but thanks mom. Yeah. They did let us live in their house. So that was helpful. (laughs) That's awesome. But I moved back into my childhood home and decided after my daughter was about six months old that I was going to come back to church. I went to church one Sunday and sitting around looking at all these sweet ladies that I had grown up with um, that were now grandmas and so just kind to me. They'd throw me a huge baby shower and just really welcomed me, even though I was probably the black sheep that they... (laughs) probably could have very easily written off. They didn't. They just embraced me. And sitting in that sacrament meeting, I thought, I could do this. I could do this again. I don't I don't think they're going to judge me and they're going to hate me or anything like that, ridicule me at all. And so I decided that I would go back to church. I met with my bishop to talk about taking the sacrament again. And he, I remember him poignantly asking me a couple of questions, and I said, I don't think I have the right answers, but all I can tell you is that I have a desire to have the right answers. And he was like, that's good enough. Let's Aww. move you on this path. So I just feel like there were a lot of dominoes that just fell in the right way for me to go back to church. And my husband was super supportive. He... He didn't want to go back himself, and that was fine. I remember sitting in a sacrament meeting with my little girl, and she was being rambunctious like they are, right? And I just thought, you know what? I have to be strong enough for both parents, for her. I can't expect my husband to do this because this is my choice, and he's on his own journey. And... Then my parents came home from their mission and the house got super small real quick. (laughs) (laughs) And we moved up here to Layton and just everything was divinely led for sure. We met amazing people. My neighbor was the Relief Society president, so I would go to church and sit by her and all the women would file by and talk to her and she would just automatically, oh, this is my new neighbor, Sarah. And so I just was meeting a ton of amazing people and made the decision, I guess, to try to go through the temple. And that was a long time coming for me. I don't know why I kind of drug my feet a little bit about it, but was... So how long from the time you were, you came back and had the sacrament until 
you decided you wanted to go through the temple? It was probably over a year. Okay. Or more than that. Maybe maybe two years. Okay. Um, but I guess in the interim, I should say, I, I got asked to speak in sacrament meeting. Our second counselor in the bishopric came down and, I mean, almost running off the podium. It was so weird. <laughs> and he grabbed me, stopped me, and he said, Sarah, I, I feel like I need to ask you to speak in sacrament. And I figured it was coming, you know, the newbie in the ward, you know, <laughs> right? I was going to have to speak. And he said, he looked at me and he said, I feel like I'm supposed to ask your husband to speak. <laughs> <laughs> I love the laugh. And I looked at him and I said, well, if you feel inspired to do that, then you should. But I did wanted no part of that. Right. <laughs> no, it's, can take it, me yeah, out of that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You go talk to him about that. And he came over and picked me up off the floor. My husband said that he would speak. And he has since told me that he had only given one talk as a youth. Wow. He'd never given an adult talk in church. And so he told me that he was scared to death to do it. But there was something about saying no that felt so much deeper wrong if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. it was just, he's like, I had to say yes, even though I was so scared to say yes, I could not say no. And That's so interesting. he gave a talk. He was supposed to give a short talk. I was preparing to take the bulk of the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And he gets up there and he just blows everyone away. This inactive man talking about paying his tithing and faith and all of these things. And he left me three minutes. Yeah. I was prepared <laughs> I for this, this huge talk and he left me three minutes and yeah, but he had a bunch of the men in the ward come up to him after and just say, your story is so similar to mine. You are here for a reason. It's not by accident. You're here in this ward. And he was so engulfed and surrounded by just love from all sides that he came home and he said, you know, if I was ever going to go back to church, I think this is the word that would make me do it. Oh, wow. And so I guess fast forward when I decided I wanted to go through the temple, he was working in Wyoming and he was getting ready to go to Wyoming and we were driving up 89 and I vividly remember where I was as we were driving. And I said, I want to talk to you about this. I want to go through the temple. I'd already taken the temp, the temple prep class. So he knew that this was kind of coming, but I just said, do you want me to do it while you're gone in Wyoming since you can't go in with me? You know, yeah. like, yeah. I don't want to make you feel bad or what, you know, if you want to be here and we can do that. And he paused and he looked at me and he said, I don't want you to go without me and <laughs> pick my heart up off the floor. Cause here's my husband who is not going to church, like has kind of said he doesn't want to do that. And he all of a sudden is, and I feel like in that moment, it was his spirit talking. It wasn't his, his mind or any, like that was his spirit pleading. Don't let her go through the temple without you. You have to be there. And so 
I waited and he was kind of still doing his own thing. And (laughs) at one point I called him out on it and was like, look, I don't, I don't need a timeline, but I need to know that you're at least moving toward (laughs) this goal that we have set for ourselves. (laughs) And you're kind of not, and it's pissing me off. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And he just said, how about when I get home from this job, how about I, I start going back to church and I, again, pick my heart up off the floor. Like I didn't realize that was an option, but yes, let's do that. (laughs) Fine with that. That's good. Yeah. So he did, and he really just hasn't ever looked back. He, I really truly feel like the Lord quickened him. And because from that day that he told me, that was in, I think it was in May, and he was an elder by December. We went through the temple in January, and we were sealed to our sweet daughter in March. So in less than a year, he went from not being worthy to do any of those things to being a full fledged, I don't know, drink the Kool-Aid like he's all in. Right. And when he was going through his uh, priesthood interview, he actually met with our second counselor in our stake presidency. And I found out later that the stake president usually does those interviews. He's very passionate about meeting with the new prospective elders and he felt really strongly that he was not supposed to do this interview that his second counselor was. And I remember coming home that night, I was at a primary activity and I came home and he was so excited in the kitchen. He's like, come here, come here. And I'm like, what? And he's like, look, look. And I looked around and I'm like, where's the coffee machine? And he goes, I threw it out. (laughs) (laughs) And I, (laughs) okay. And he's like, because he's like, I had my interview and he told me I can't do this with one foot out the door. He's like, I'm both feet in, I'm ready to go. And (laughs) so there were just so many instances and so many small moments where people impacted him and impacted me as well in our in our journey back to church and I don't know I don't I can't looking at it from the outside it's so hard to pinpoint what exactly happened because there were just so many things and so many ministering opportunities and I think that we were so blessed to live in this ward where people did surround us and did engulf us in love because we, we lost a lot of friends when we made the decision to go back to church, to stop doing what we were doing before they chose not to hang out with us and didn't want to be around that. And it was really hard and it's hard to think about your life and then to look at, okay, but I want this, but I'm giving up all of these friends. And so to have a ward family that just surrounded us with love was like, oh, well, it's okay that we lost these other, you know, all of these other people because we have this new group that loves us so much more or just in a different way or for what we needed at that time. 
And so we really are just so blessed for the people that we now associate with and that we've been able to interact with and just become part of their lives in in a small way. But it really was the small things along the way, just introducing us to people or a smile, just the neighborhood itself was perfect for what we needed. Well, even it sounds like way back when you're first starting, just the simple, like the ladies that you knew, like growing up and the simple thing of like throwing a baby shower or just reaching out just made you feel, it was like tiny little things. Right. They just made you feel just enough, like welcomed or like gave you just enough hope that you're like, I think I could do this. Yeah. And it wasn't anything like they're forcing or anything that made you feel obligated or you're like, I can read you guys. <laughs> I know what you're trying to do. Right. I wasn't the project. I've been the project before. You know the difference. <laughs> yes, yeah. I do. <laughs> so would you say it's, it happens more with the small things that people yeah. do than really like the Book of Mormon handing moment, yeah. right? Yes. That we all yes. fear that ever we have to do that. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. I, I just think that Anytime you're interacting with someone that you want to impact their life, if you are not in a good place and you aren't exuding that love for them, they're not going to look at you and think, I want what you have. Yeah, that's true. And so so these people that were just like, we just love you. That's it. We just love you. We want to hang out with you. We want to get to know you. You you automatically gravitate to that Mm -hmm. and you it makes you feel loved. It makes you feel important. Like you're not just discarded church trash or whatever, you know, like you, I'm sure people feel that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think in, in the scriptures, you know, the savior did that. Like he was different. That's Mm -hmm. why people gravitated to him because he was interested in what they had to say. He wasn't just shoving his gospel onto them. He wanted to get to know them and love them. And so it really is just the small things, just the smiles and the not treating people like they don't belong or. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I loved about the beginning of your story and, and one of the things that makes you, I feel like so easy to love (laughs) is that it just, you're super authentic and you're super honest. That is a hard (laughs) trait to acquire for your own life. And it's a hard thing to find in others. I think sometimes it takes some work that takes some vulnerability, some effort. And I love that when you went into the Bishop, you said, I don't know the answers to this. I mean, that is complete honesty. And what more does God want from us? He wants honesty. He doesn't want you to try and fake it till you make it. He wants you and like you were talking about with the Savior, he wants to get to know you. And if you don't know it yet, that's all right. Yeah. There's a lot of things we don't know yet. And I love that part of your story. And then when the bishop, so inspired, says to you, that's, that's, that's good it. enough for me. That's yeah. exactly what we need. I mean, what a, what a spokesperson for the Savior. What a true moment of engulfing in love. Like you've talked about before. And that moment stuck out to me so much. Just that reminder to just be you. Being you is enough. Yeah. And he will take you the rest of the way. He just needs you to be you. So I love that part. I do too. And I I like that you had this moment where you're talking about 
Garrett and how it was almost like he, his spirit was speaking over and in his head, you know? And it made me think of how often we have like spiritual moments when we feel we're not worthy to have spiritual moments and how many of us, like the Lord speaks to all of us and you don't have to be a prophet. You don't have to be a bishop. You don't have to be the really side president. You can just be a guy who's completely inactive. Who's just trying his best to like help his wife, you know, I mean that moment right there. And I, I just think that's, it makes me want to look at my life more at those moments when I mean, I'm overly self-criticizing most of the time. So, you know, when I think I'm lacking, I probably just need to open up a little more to see it. So I really loved that moment that you're sharing. And I really wish you guys could see Sarah smile because Mm -hmm. it's true. It is the most captivating thing ever. I just love Sarah so much. Anyway, it's very, very true. And you talking about Garrett, the thing about Garrett that I loved is when he got asked to speak and he's like, that's okay. I mean, I can do this. And he gets up there and he speaks. Being in the gospel requires you to take a lot of leaps of faith. I mean, a lot of them. And I mean, you did that coming back to church without, you know, knowing anyone. Well, when you came back originally, you were coming back to people that you did know, but really that leap of faith, like they'll be good to me. I can trust them. Right. And he took a huge leap of faith to say, you're asking me to do this. The spirit's telling me I should go and it hurts worse not to. So here I go, here goes nothing. And how often do we have those moments in the church where we're called, called to a calling and we're like, oh, I'm sure you have the wrong person. Yeah. Like, I did. are you sure? There's a lot of, you know, Sarah's in the Rolodex or Alicia's in the Rolodex, are you sure? And so those moments where we question whether we are really the one for the work. And I love the reminder that his story gives us that the Lord will qualify those that he calls. He will qualify you. Yeah. And he's doing it in the small things. Right. You just have to keep walking. So I love that. Yeah. We also, so we got sealed in March of 2019. And obviously we all know the temples got closed in March of 2020 And it was crazy to think about, you know, a thousand years is one day in the Lord's time and breaking it down to one year is literally like a second. The Mm. Lord literally shoved us through the temple doors as they were probably closing. And he knew that and he knew that we needed to be sealed. And so that kind of puts in perspective when you say you were quickened. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, seriously. That is so amazing what he accomplishes. I know. It's so true. any soul, really. Right. (laughs) I love Sarah's testimony here about the simple things that we can do and the love that we can show to someone. And you just summed it up so beautifully, just your authentic self. So thank you for sharing all this. In this reading, and one thing that I have pulled or I liked was in section 13, when they are getting the Aaronic priesthood, it says, you know, that they were going to have the keys of the ministering of angels. Down in the footnote, it says delegation of responsibility. And when I think about this, particularly with men, with ministering or with missionary work, like we all have this, this part, this all, we all have this level of uh, a delegation given to us. And I really think it starts with the love. I really think that the priesthood is... Um, a gift of a powerful love that we can help share with anyone. And if you think of that with missionary work and Sarah's story, 
that this whole thing was centered on because people cared about her as a person and she they cared about the love of this family and it made the biggest impact. It, it, it didn't have anything to do with how you preach, how you talk about the gospel and inner, inner, like you slip it into a conversation. It didn't had all the, the foundation of that is about love. And I'm grateful that we have this little bit of delegation given to all of us, this little bit of power of, of God's love given to all of us so we can help minister to those. And that's all it is. It's just about sharing love. In DNC section 12, verse eight, it goes right along with what you you guys have both been talking about. And it says, and no one can assist in this work except he shall be humble and full of love and having faith, hope, and charity, being temperate in all things whatsoever shall be entrusted to his care, full of love, entrusted to his care. I love this quote by uh, Jeffrey R. Holland. And it says, I have spoken here of heavenly help of angels dispatched to bless us in time of need. But when we speak of those who are instruments in the hand of God, we are reminded that not all angels are from the other side of the veil. Some of them walk with and talk with here now every day. Some of them reside in our own neighborhoods. Some of them gave birth to us. And in my case, one of them consented to marry me. Indeed, heaven never seems closer than when we see the love of God manifested in the kindness and devotion of people so good and so pure that angelic is the only word that comes to mind. And I hope that as you've listened to Sarah's story today, um, that you have recognized people in your own life that feel angelic to you. And maybe take a minute to ponder on who those people are in your life and who do you want to be angelic for? Whose life do you want to make a little sweeter because you're in it? And we hope you guys have a great week. Yep. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Thanks for having me. We'll see ya. Hey guys, thanks for listening. We sure appreciate you. And Valentine's Day is coming up. We want to wish everyone a happy Valentine's Day. And in honor of Valentine's Day, um, a few weeks ago, we asked on Instagram, what are some of the things that you guys love? And boy, did we get some great responses, some super unique things. And we thought we'd share some of them because you guys are so cool. We have such unique, awesome people who listen to the podcast and we appreciate you guys. So here are some of the things that you guys love. Music, playing games, party planning, potluck dinners, games, Jesus, podcasts, watercolors, adventures, singing, nails, French bread, chocolate, sleep, family, goats and horses, cakes, painting, biking, swimming, knitting, and lots more chocolate. So we're just so grateful for such awesome people who listen and we just love you guys and wanted to share a little love with you guys as well. So we hope your week is full of love and that you will be back with us on Monday next week. All right. We'll see you guys. Bye. Bye. And this is how we end up with funnies at the end, because sometimes we talk about cookies and. Yeah. Oh, he's going to bring cookies tonight. I bribed Sarah with cookies. You didn't bring any. You did promise. I did. Oh, oh, look snap. at that. I would, the disappointment, because those cookies are. You basically have a right to just like, oh, I had stuff for you too. <laughs> I ordered salt. I had <gasps> salt for you. They had it in stock. Okay. The salt. <laughs> the salt. Have you heard of the salt? No. Oh, I have like the special. But the salt. Savior loves salt. <laughs> the 
Because then you've done some And that's exactly why I brought it up. It's so true. It is so, so I know. I ordered you a bag. You did not. I sure did. Is it special salt? Yeah. I I even call it special salt. Like I'm ordering some kind of, you know, thing on the side. It's like a, it's the salt from France, which sounds more fancy than I think it is. But it's like a gray wet salt. I know. Okay, but here's probably the only reason why I know it's special and delicious is because she uses it in her cookies. So you know how you have to eat like salt and sweet and you can eat all day? Yeah. Pretty much all day. That's true. Well, you don't have to have like something separate because your cookie has this like sweetness with a burst of salt. Sweetness with a burst of salt. I know. Do you feel that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's delicious. They're a little big sometimes where you're like, whoa. (laughs) <laughs> that was the burst. Sometimes the burst is a little too much. Uh, anyway, so I do crush my just a little smidgen. Just a little smidgen. Yeah. That's a fun word. And, smidgen. <laughs> or if it's in soup, I won't. I do it love dissolves. smidgen. <laughs>